Chapter Twenty Two of the Real Oscar Wilde by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My stay in Oscar Wilde's lodgings in Charles Street was not a long one, with the exception of two or three days at Berneval after his release from prison. This was the last time that I ever spent a night under the same roof with him. Indeed, after my return to Paris in eighteen eighty three, I saw very little of my friend except on his occasional visits to paris and my still rarer journeys to london life is so ordered to-day that many very good friends rarely see each other for years i used to look on cocaine cadet as one of my best friends a sentiment which he kindly reciprocated but though we were living in paris for years and years together i rarely if ever saw him except when i went to the comedy and then only on the stage one has to mind one's own spinning and it is a good thing because i think friendship lasts longer when there is not too much intimacy the awful failure of matrimony seems to result from the intolerable obligation it lays upon two people of being constantly in each other's company wilde and i were excellent friends but we saw very little of each other for years he usually but by no means always let me know when he came to paris when i went to london i usually wrote for an appointment but not always indeed i have recorded how he blamed me once for not going to see him and the curious explanation he gave of it lord alfred douglas is inaccurate when he states therefore in his book that i was constantly with wilde and ross in the years which preceded his own acquaintanceship with the former it is a fact that i never even heard of robert ross until eighteen ninety five after the wild scandal had broken out and the very first time i met him was i think when i went over to london after wilde's release on bail we afterwards journeyed to reading together on more than one occasion and off and on i have seen something of him since but by no means enough i think him one of the finest fellows in the world and would like ibsen to have known him he might have cured him of his pessimism about humanity i know nothing about many of wilde's acquaintances nor ever heard their names mentioned all those weird people who were spoken about or put in their appearances at the wilde trials were folk of whose very existence i was ignorant the first time i met alfred douglas was one day when i found him sitting with oscar wilde in an upstairs room in the cafe royal but i do not remember the date it was some time when he was not on friendly terms with his father and almost the first thing he said to me was that he had been burning candles at the brompton oratory for a purpose which had better be left unrecorded i saw nothing whatever wrong in their association they seemed to admire each other very much oscar pontified and douglas listened with a certain amount of humorous criticism to his remarks the max beerbohm caricature of the couple as they used to be seen together is an excellent piece of observation we have lord alfred douglas's statement that during all the time that he knew oscar wilde he never saw anything wrong in his conduct and this i should say is the very best evidence of wilde's innocence because according to ransom wilde had been experimenting in certain kinds of aberration for three years before he met lord alfred douglas 
and afterwards succumbed to the mania i do not know on what evidence mr ransom makes this statement i certainly saw nothing of it and though my testimony may count for little as i saw very little of wilde during all those years the same cannot be said of lord alfred douglas who for some years was constantly in his company at the same time wilde does not appear to have concealed in any way whatever his curious associations with people so vastly his social inferiors i do not think that anybody who knew him would have seen any reason for grave suspicion in that tolstoy had the strangest frequentations and christian socialism such as used to be preached by the abbe garnier in paris would explain all that the love of eccentricity left undecided the thirst of the modern writer for the document humane is the reason for the strangest frequentations we see lord tennyson hanging with grooms on the bridge at coventry and one has heard of the virtuous bourgeois emile zola frequenting the society of demi-mondaine and souteneurs so as to document himself for nana and do not think worse of either of them the interpretation which the prosecution put upon wilde's frequentations surprised me immensely but must have surprised and shocked lord alfred douglas even more during all those years i never doubted that one day oscar wilde would come to his own i had the most absolute faith in his star people who did not like him and there were a great many especially amongst literary folk who could not forgive him the numerous editions of his poems and his successful lecture tours people who had been delighted by labouchere's exit oscar were ever so pleased when they heard that he had taken up some hack work in la belle sauvage and contemner of journalists had become one himself it certainly was sad to see oscar trudging to his office but it must be said that he made a gallant show he was always faultlessly dressed in a thoroughfare where men all de parti pris seemed to dress shockingly and to show himself blithe and gay he always had a flower in his buttonhole and he seemed to take a real interest in the work and some little pride in the scanty patronage which his position as editor gave him yet there were times when the drudgery of the life weighed upon him we have a record of him at his office in la belle sauvage from the mouth of mr arthur fish who was his assistant in the particular rabbit hutch i am quoting rider haggard which was assigned to the production of the woman's world at first the work was taken quite seriously writes mr fish and eleven o'clock on his appointed morning saw the poet entering the dingy portals of the yard but after a few months his arrival became later and his departure earlier until at times his visit was little more than a call after a very short time in my association with him i could tell by the sound of his approach along the resounding corridor whether the necessary work to be done would be met cheerfully or postponed to a more congenial period in the latter case he would sink with a sigh into his chair carelessly glance at his letters give a perfunctory look at proofs or make-up ask is it necessary to settle anything to-day put on his hat 
and with a sad good morning depart again on his cheerful days however everything was different these were fairly constant in the spring days of the year there would be a smiling entrance letters would be answered with epigrammatic brightness there would be a cheery interval of talk when the work was accomplished and the dull room would brighten under the influence of his great personality mr fish saw wilde then in moods in which i never found him i mean as to his moods of depression i do not think that i ever saw wilde sad or depressed even on that awful night when i found him in bed a nervous wreck in his room in oakley street with the lily drooping from a tumbler on the mantelpiece over his head he was completely master of himself he had by no means surrendered his personality indeed he seemed to me to be enjoying the opportunity of playing a part a very tragic part before the poor insignificant audience of myself his histrionism was hyaline he kept repeating robert robert why have you brought me no poison from paris i am convinced that the opportunity of creating a role of such tremendous tragedy delighted him so that he forgot for the time being all the hideous circumstances by which he was environed even in prison he was quite master of himself and though naturally not cheerful seemed by no means overwhelmed i cannot believe that he ever seriously contemplated suicide though he frequently warns smithers that he has it in view i have before me a very curious letter of his to the publisher which is i think worth reproducing in extenso because apart from the threat it contains it throws light on his position at the time it is dated from the villa giudice sixteenth november eighteen ninety seven and runs my dear smithers do remember that what is comedy to you may be the reverse of comic to others since i received your letter in which you said i expect that before the arrival of this letter you will have received the ten pounds i have been down twice a day to naples to cook's office and i have just returned from third visit now five-thirty of course there was nothing and i am really ashamed of my endless inquiries about a sum of ten pounds to be telegraphed from london perhaps you only wrote what you did to give me hope but my dear fellow hope constantly disappointed makes one's bread bitter especially as i have just heard from my own solicitor to say that as i am in naples with blank, he is going to give his decision that i am leading an infamous life and so deprive me of my sole income thirty-eight pounds a quarter for one's own solicitor this seems a little strong unluckily he has it in his power to stop my wretched allowance and is going to do so and as i see my poem is a very unsaleable affair the ballad of reading jail i simply have starvation or suicide before me the latter as i dislike pain for choice he concludes this letter in which he expresses the thought that there is just a chance of a big sale for the ballad with the words 
the weather is entrancing but in my heart there is no sun three weeks later he again writes to smithers and again threatens suicide i await the revise he writes and promise not to make my quietus with a bare bodkin till i have returned them after that i think of retiring but first i would like to dine with you here to leave life as one leaves a feast is not merely philosophy but romance if space allowed of it one would like to quote the whole of this letter it appears that miss marbury had proposed that the ballad should be illustrated and oscar writes her suggestion of illustrations is of course out of the question pray tell her from me that i feel that it would entirely spoil any beauty the poem has and not add anything to its psychological revelations the horror of prison life is the contrast between the grotesqueness of one's aspect and the tragedy of one's soul illustrations would emphasize the former and conceal the latter of course i refer to realistic illustration in the same letter he humorously pays off an old score he seems to have had against jerome k jerome he writes i have seen the academy with its list of immortals it is very funny what sort of people are proposed but it is sufficient no doubt to make out a list personally i cannot make up my mind as to whether the duke of argyle or jerome k jerome has the better claims i think the former the unread is always better than the unreadable i quote this passage as it is the only instance that i can recall of wilde stooping to bear a grudge against anybody jerome was in court on eleventh april eighteen ninety five during the proceedings at bow street after wilde's arrest he had previously attacked the chameleon in his periodical to-day and had demanded its withdrawal but wilde always declared that he objected to the chameleon and had nothing to do with it it is possible writes mr stuart mason that wilde had given offence to mr jerome previously as he is reported to have said that the author of three men in a boat was vulgar without being funny wilde always used to speak against suicide he once said to me that nobody should commit suicide as that was the highest compliment that one could pay to society mr fish might have explained wilde's restlessness and depression on his visits to the yard by the fact that all smoking is strictly prohibited on the premises of the messrs castle i think one may not even smoke in the yard itself i remember asking wilde how he could manage to exist without his cigarette for so long a time and referred to the french saying as sad as a day without tobacco he said oh one makes up one's mind that one cannot and one does not a confirmed smoker is both restless and miserable if he is kept from his pleasure even worse than the drinker wilde told me the same about his deprivation in prison one makes up one's mind that one cannot and one does not as a matter of fact at reading at least he might have smoked as there was a friend in office there who would have facilitated the indulgence 
and was prepared to give the prisoner a supply of snout not to chew but actually to smoke wilde however had the strength of mind to refuse not that he was not sorely tempted to accept but because he feared he might get his friend into very serious trouble the letters from which i quote above came on the market after poor smithers had gone bankrupt and was in sore straits to live they were sold for mere trifles it is stated that in nineteen o six eight hundred letters written by oscar wilde were offered for sale at the price of forty pounds but no buyer could be found nowadays either of the two letters from which i quote above would fetch at the very least fifty pounds and probably much more people who do not read the catalogues of the autograph merchants can have little idea of the tremendous prices that wild holographs fetch not that these are scarce but on account of the extraordinary interest that is taken in the man a year or two ago a wild letter was offered for sale in a dealer's catalogue at a price four times as large as that asked for a letter from queen victoria and an interesting letter at that anybody who in nineteen o six which was the date by the way when my life of wilde first appeared had invested forty pounds in those letters would have realised a considerable fortune i do not know how many applications i have received from dealers in all parts of the world asking me if i have any wild items to sell i suppose that very few people have had more or more interesting wild items but almost everything that i possessed of this kind has been stolen when one is always travelling about items of every variety are liable to be dispersed i have related how all the letters which wilde wrote me at the beginning of our friendship turned up in the hands of a baroness others and not letters from wilde alone but from his friends which at various times were stolen seem to have been used in blackmailing attempts the other day i was supplied with the copy of a letter which had been addressed to me at the time that wilde was in prison it came from one of his friends who was abroad and in its way was a compromising document which i ought to have destroyed however the man who wrote it is a person who is very well able to take care of himself and i am sorry for anybody who in possession of this letter may attempt to blackmail him on the strength of it not that there was anything very bad in it but certainly a curious construction might be put upon it he bids me on my next visit to wilde in prison tell him quote, that i love him and i am only living in the hope of seeing him again when he comes out tell him that if he dies in prison or if i lose his love i shall kill myself as it is life is hard enough to bear Unquote. and so on this particular person has satisfied everybody that his friendship for wilde was quite a proper one and the quotation therefore may serve to show with what extraordinary affection wilde was able to inspire his friends for my own part i do not see much to gird against in the use of this word love as between male friends the latin word for friend derives from amor a roman loved his friend when he wrote him a letter he ended by saying farewell and love us 
apropos of which there is an anecdote about a frenchman who considered the use of classical phrases a pose which wanted snubbing he had a friend who always ended his letters with wale et nos arma and one day he tore this passage off his friend's letter and returned it to him with the words voyager mon ami voyager et oublier yet in france a man loves his friend just as he loves the cheese of camembert or the footing of the five o'clock people who have studied the classics and who have lived a good deal in france use the word love very readily and nobody sees anything doubtful in it in the same way a frenchman may call you mon cher but if an englishman who may be steeped in gallicisms were to address you as my dear the frank lockwoods of this world would see all kinds of evil in it i quite admit that most englishmen have a repugnance for this kind of thing and i remember how indignant i was when visiting an old schoolfellow in sorrento he fell on my neck and kissed me twice on the face one's insularity will assert itself i saw very little of oscar wilde after eighteen ninety two and was content to know that he had arrived and was prospering being in paris and very busy i rarely went to london i occasionally met him in paris and was glad to see the french papers begin to take him very seriously his movements were chronicled he had become a personage but the french had little appreciation of his genius they treated him rather as a fashionable man of the world his appearances at mundane restaurants were recorded a sensational article in the echo de paris entitled elle les lui described him en tete-a-tete -tete at luncheon chez durand with a well-known actress an article i wrote in the galois to correct the impression that oscar wilde was a mere butterfly and to point out his great literary value was a real surprise to paris who then is ce monsieur oscar wilde was a question on the boulevard and before he published my monograph the editor of the galois asked me if i was bien sûr that my man was of any real importance i dined with him very shortly before the debacle at his house in tite street i found him very spoiled already before then he had indicated that he was beginning to attach an exaggerated importance to himself the mcclaws of mcclaws magazine had asked me to give them an article about him with as many oscariana as possible i had sent their letter to wilde in the old days he would have been glad of the publicity and still more glad to give me the opportunity of doing some highly remunerated work which would have attracted great attention in america he wrote back very curtly that he considered the letter of the mcclaws an impertinence and that he would certainly not supply any oscariana unless he were paid to do so mentioning the sum of twenty pounds as his fee for an interview in my story of an unhappy friendship i find the following passage referring to this period i fancy that in his splendour our friendship relaxed possibly it was because we so rarely met there was a feeling on my side of having been cast off although there was little to warrant it i received no letters from him during this period i saw very little of him in his purple days 
the stories of his luxurious life the villas at goring the fashionable hotels the butlers and under-butlers which one heard at the trial were so many revelations to me que diable allait-il faire dans cette galère was a question i asked myself at this dinner at christmas eighteen ninety four he was not himself at all he exuded unctuous prosperity and reminded me of a roman emperor of the decadence vitellius indeed rather than heliogabalus chapter twenty two